turn to Acts 27 tonight as we are in our second to last installment in the book of Acts, Acts 27. I'm sure many of you would understand this, but it's never a fun day when you have to explain to your kid that sometimes people don't keep their word. I remember uh, we had some family visiting a year or two ago, and, you know, there's not a whole lot of crazy cool things to do in Garden City, but there is a really, two really cool water parks. I'm a huge fan. Natalie had been to the outdoor one, but the indoor one, Parrot Cove, she'd never been to, and so all week, the, the plan was on Wednesday afternoon, we're going to the indoor water park with this family member. And Wednesday came, and it was water park day. But instead of going to the water park that day, we said goodbye to said family member and went to no water park that day. Now, you all know how a five-year-old handles that, right? It's, it's, it's not a pretty thing. It's, it gets a little bit messy. And so Natalie and I had to have a conversation that sometimes people don't keep their word. Maybe not because they're um, trying to lie, but because things come up. And uh, let's be honest, I, I've had to have that conversation with her many other times, not because a family member didn't keep their word, but because mom or dad didn't keep their word. I think we all know this, right? People don't keep their words. So as adults, we come to expect it, right? Like, you know, the proof's in the pudding. We'll see if you come through. All of us got that in the back of our mind when someone makes a promise to us. But there's a far more important question before us in our passage tonight. One that I think is more consequential. We know people don't always keep their word, but here's the question tonight. Does God keep his word? Does God keep his word? Now, all of us, I think, would be ready to say amen to that, right? Right? Yeah? <laughs> I was hoping for an amen, but a yes works too, Joy. Thank you. <laughs> we, we, we believe, we want to believe God keeps his word, but can I just be real with you? It's easier to say God keeps his word than to trust that he'll keep his word when you're waiting on him. It's easier to say that than to believe it. It's easier to say amen in a sermon than to believe that on Tuesday morning. When you're not in the sanctuary, when you're in real life. In this chapter is Luke's response to that. Does God keep his word? Does God keep his word to the Apostle Paul and does God keep his word to you? Different things he says to you than the Apostle Paul, but it's the same God. And so we're, we ought to be concerned whether or not God keeps his word. And so the passage tonight, we're gonna, not going to read it because of length, will be in chapter 27, verse 1, through chapter 28, verse 16. But here's how it breaks down. We're going to see the despair that Paul and his companions will face because of their difficulty in verses one through 20. And then we're gonna see Paul's hope 
when he believed in God's word. And then the rest of the passage is going to show us how God keeps his word and the ways in which he keeps his word. And I, I hope that'll encourage us tonight. If you remember where we left off, Paul had been through three different trials, right? And they all didn't work out in his favor. And in the second trial, he appears, uh, appeals to Caesar. He exercises, maybe similar to what we would have constitutional rights, to appeal to the highest form of government, and that was Caesar himself. Nobody gets in the way of that process. If you're a Roman citizen and you appeal to Caesar, you're going to Caesar. Well, here's the problem. Paul's in Caesarea. Caesar's in Rome, very far apart. And so Paul boards a ship. In verses 1 through 20, Luke records that this very simple but long trip, they encountered a lot of difficulties which led Paul and all the people traveling with him to feel some despair. It starts off really great in verses 1 and 3. Paul gets paired up with another supervising Roman soldier. His name is Julius, right? Look, verse one, it says, and when it was determined that we should sail in Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners under one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. Now look at verse three, or sorry. Yeah, verse number three. And the next day we touched at Sidon and Julius, look at the kindness he shows to Paul. He courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go onto his friends and refresh himself. He kind of gets a break from being a prisoner. Hey, man, God's good. But the, the, the smooth sailing literally ends there because the rest of the passage records the difficulty. I want you to notice the words that kind of rise up off the top of the page. As you're reading stories like this, it can be really easy to get lost in some of these nautical details. But, but as you're reading accounts like this, look for words that jump off the page that kind of are thematic in nature. Look at verse number four. As they're sailing, it says that when we launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. The winds were against us. Verse number seven, we sailed slowly for many days. And the rest of the, the verse says this, that we barely made it because the wind was not allowing us to. We, we scarcely were come over against Sinaitis and the wind not suffering us. We sailed under Crete. They're trying to avoid the wind over against Salmone. And then verse number eight says, hey, we barely got past Salmone. Look at verse number eight. And hardly passing it came into a place which is called the Fair Havens. Now, when you read Fair Havens in your Bible, you're thinking, oh, this is like a, this is like a vacation getaway. You know, a cruise spot. The name is a little deceiving. In fact, it was a really small town. And so the argument ensues because this is a long trip. You'll see a map here in just a moment. But this is a long trip across the Mediterranean Sea. And so it's getting late in the year. I mean, the, Roman, the, the weather calendar doesn't wait on Paul. So it's late in the year. And how many of you know, later in the year, seas are a little bit choppy. Well, we may not know that in southwest Kansas but I read it in a book. That's the truth, okay? So seas get a little bit choppy, and so they're, they're, they're stationed there. They're, they're stopping over for supplies and stuff at the Fair Havens, and Paul knows what time of the year it is. Now, we know Paul. He's been around the globe a little bit, hasn't he? He's got a little experience sailing, and so Paul, as a prisoner, imagine this. He has the audacity. He has the audacity to go to the, the centurion, Julius, and say, here's what you need to do. 
I've known a lot of preachers in my life and they love giving directions. <laughs> he says, here's what you need to do, Julius. You need to not sail. We need to hang out here for the rest of the winter. Y'all, you know what Paul's proposing? He's saying to not only this centurion who's been entrusted with um, hundreds of, of prisoners, we'll see that in a minute, there's 276 people on board, but they're also traveling with cargo and they've got a guy who's sailing who makes his money, kind of like truck drivers do, by getting to their destination, right, Brother Ray? So he's telling these people, you need to not get to your destination, you need to hang out here in the Fair Havens. But here's the reality, they're not gonna listen to Paul because the Fair Havens, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a good place to stay in. Verse number 12 says it was not commodious to winter. And the reality is probably that there wasn't a good place for the ship or there wasn't enough supplies or there wasn't enough quarters for them to stay in. And so even though Paul spouts off his opinion that, hey, it's dangerous to sail this time of year, we need to stop here and wait for the winter to pass. Well, these guys are getting paid by the mile. So they're like, no, we're going on. Well, then it gets really rough. It continues to get worse. Verse number 13, they set out, and it's smooth sailing. Look at verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. So the, the strategy here is, if you're not seeing this in the passage, is they're sailing close to shore. Right? That's how most people sailed back then. They didn't have all the navigational instruments we have now. But look at verse number 14. It changes in a moment. And isn't life like that? It's hard and then it gets easy and then it changes back to hard. And in verse number 14, this south wind comes. It's a storm system that would come in from the northeast. They had a name for it. You know it's a bad storm when they've got a name for it. Eurachlodon. It literally means the northeaster. So Eurachlodon comes, and the trip begins to unravel from there. Look at verse 16. And when the ship was caught, we could not bear up into the wind. We let her drive. You know what that means? We couldn't sail against the wind, and so literally the storm is so strong, we just had to throw our hands up and let the wind carry us out into the sea. Hello, that's scary. Are you with me? Engage in the story. Help me. We've we got to engage in this to get it. And so they're, they're in this, this sea and they're, <clears throat> now they're getting driven by the wind. In verse number 16, it says that we're running under an island. So they're, they're, they're trying to escape the forces that were against them by sailing beneath an island to avoid the wind. That was a strategy that they had if the wind was too strong. This island, verse 16, called Clouda. And we had much work to come by the boat. And then it's so bad, they're worried the ship is going to come apart. You're in a bad storm, y'all. If you're worried, your ship is going to come apart. Verse 17, um, they, they start literally running ropes underneath the ship to hold it together. I'm not a sailing guy, but I would not be comfortable in this moment. It's doom is spelled in the sky. And you'll see on the map on the screen, based on this, I don't know if you could see it, see that orange line? Can y'all see that or is that terrible? I'm gonna use my laser pointer. My laser pointer. Here's Crete, Rome is up here. And you should be going here, but they don't really know, but they go on this long path, the wind pulls them, here's 
cloud are right here. And then they are getting pulled way out of the way by the wind. And here's this storm that's coming. And, and listen, this gets serious because they get lost at sea by the end of the passage. They're lost at sea for two weeks. That's scary stuff. Hey, Castaway and Tom Hanks have nothing on that. But it's more than just the scenario that they were facing. The wind, look at verse 18, they have to lighten the cargo. It's getting real bad when you got to throw food overboard. And then look at verse number 19, or sorry, verse number 20. Here's the emotional state of the people in this difficulty. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, listen, that's how they navigated. So not only were they lost at sea, they had no idea where they were. Verse 20. And no small tempest lay on us. That means translated big tempest. <laughs> we had a big tempest. Look at the despair. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Now you'd expect spiritual apostle Paul to be in a different scenario, but based on the, the words of the messenger of God to him, verse 24, that said, fear not, I think Paul was in, in the boat with these people literally. He lost hope too. And there's despair here because as life gets more difficult, we start to lose hope. As it seems more improbable that God's gonna have his way, we start to lose hope. Have you ever been there? when it feels like that everything is going against you like the winds are in this passage. You can't get a break. You can't get a tailwind, that's what we call it in cycling, a tailwind when the wind's at your back. Things are going slowly. You're slowly sailing through life when you really need things to pick up a little bit. And then like they did in verses 16 through 18, you catch a little bit of a break. The wind is broken by the island and you start to get your hopes up and then life comes at you again and again and again. And I think what happens is these things cause us to doubt whether or not God is going to keep his word and come through for us, doesn't it? God, how are you going to use this for my good? You said you'll use it for my good, but this thing's not being very good. God, you say you're sovereign, but all of this looks like chaos. God, you said you would provide, but I've got this thing and this thing and this bill and this bill and this setback coming at me. And now my job's talking about cutting my hours. You gonna keep your word? God, you said you'd be with me, but you feel so distant. God, you said your word would not return void, but I've ministered and I've served people and I've seen nothing. God, you said you would be working on people. You said you could change them. You said you would draw them, but I don't see a single evidence of that. There's despair. And you may not be there right now, praise God. I'm happy for you. But the day will come when you are. <clears throat> but what I'm thankful about in this passage is that when all hope seems lost, God's word enters the picture. That when you feel hopeless and you feel like you don't see a way forward, 
Christian, the solution to your hopelessness is the word of God. In verses 21 through, I believe, 38, we see Paul finding hope as he trusted in God's word. Paul was losing hope like these people, but then there's this messenger that appears to him and he has hope because he believes God would keep his word. Look at verse number 21, it says, after long abstinence, so there's a long period of silence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, sirs, <laughs> he says, I told you so. You should have listened. Verse 21, you should have taken my advice. But here's the real point. He says, verse 22, and now I exhort you to be of good cheer. And Paul starts prophetically speaking, there shall be no loss of any man's life among you. The only thing that will be lost is what he's saying is of the ship. In verse 23, he says where his hope is. Because at this moment in time, Paul looks like a crazy man. They've been lost at sea for days. You're telling me to be a good cheer? We haven't eaten. We've thrown a lot of our stuff overboard. Paul says, here's where my hope came from. Verse 23, for there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, fear not, Paul, I get from that Paul was fearful, right? Why? Thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given all them that sail with thee. Paul says, here's why I have hope. God spoke his word to me, and his word says, I have to appear before Caesar. What I love about this is that Paul is restating What God had said to him in chapter 23, verse 11, two years ago, look at chapter 23, verse 11. It's slightly different wording, but it's the same promise. Chapter 23, verse 11, it says this, in the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul. Does this sound familiar again? For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. You know, sometimes we need to hear God's word again. That's why, that's why, as a preacher, when I used to preach through books of the Bible, I'm like, you know, sometimes books repeat themselves. And as a preacher, I want to say something new every time. And then I realize sometimes we need to hear the same thing a different way. What, what do they say in the teaching world that the best teacher is repetition? We need to hear some things again. That's why it's good for you, Christian, to memorize scripture. That's why it's good for you, if you've been in the Bible for 80 years, to be in the Bible 81 years. You need God's word because that is what is going to give you hope and minister to you time and time again. And so here's the angel of the Lord speaking God's word to Paul and he gives him two promises. Two promises. God will get you to Caesar and God will get everyone else on the boat to Caesar. Are you following me? Paul, you're gonna get to Caesar and everyone on the boat is going to be safe. But here's the reality. The hope that is in God's word does nothing for you unless you believe it. Reading scripture, hearing a sermon, it doesn't do anything for you unless you respond with faith. And I love Paul's response in verse number 25. There's a good old like Southern gospel song that kind of is based on some of these verses. And he says, wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer for I believe God. I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. I believe what God says will happen. He had to place his faith in God. And here's the reality tonight. 
your hope, your encouragement, your ability to withstand trials in your life rises and falls on the decision for you to believe God's word. That's it. Will you believe his word or will you not? And by the way, if you need proof to believe God's word, that's not faith. Well, I'll believe God will provide when I see like a way that he'll provide. That's not faith. That's reason. Okay? And so here's Paul and he says, I believe God. And that's where my hope is because God has his word. I believe his word and therefore I have encouragement and I have hope. Listen, friend, we don't find hope in our circumstances. If you're gonna find hope in your circumstances, here's what your life is gonna be. It's gonna be a roller coaster because nobody has a good day every day. Nobody. I don't care what Instagram tells you. So if you're finding hope and encouragement in your circumstances, hey, that's great when it's good. It's a terrible idea when it's not good. And you'll find where your hope is when things are bad. Because if your emotions are directly tied to your circumstances, that gives you and I an idea that maybe our hope is invested in things of this world just a little bit too much. We don't find our hope in people and the way they treat us and the way that they respect us, the way that they love us. We find our hope in God's word. That's where it is. That's why church member, you need to treasure God's word. If God's word is your source of hope, read it a little bit more. Read it a little bit more. Do you find yourself feeling empty? Go back to God's word. Go back to God's word. What I love about Paul's response is he doesn't just have hope for himself. He shares his hope with others. You know, other people need hope too. And Paul stands up, doesn't he? This whole passage is not just him testifying about his hope, but in verse number 22, he exhorts them to be of good cheer. Verse number 25, he says, sirs, be of good cheer. What is Paul doing? He's being a hope dealer. He's sharing the hope that he has in Christ. Verse uh, number 34, there's some time that passes. The best understanding I have is verses 24 and whatever, are like two or three nights into their being lost at sea. Verse 34, they're 14 days in. So think about this. Paul stands up and says, I believe God. He's gonna deliver us. Be of good cheer. And I think that might have lasted for one day. Right? Imagine you're lost at sea. Some guy stands up and says, God told him in a dream that you're all gonna be safe. And you're like, oh, cool. Surely, surely the angel is speaking about the next 24 hours, right? And one day passes and no deliverance. Still lost at sea. By the way, they haven't eaten. Another day passes. Another day passes. Another day passes. Another day passes. Another one, another one, another one, another one, another one, another one. No food. Hey, I've been hangry, but, but I'll tell you what. If you give me 14 days and no food, I'm hopeless, Probably a little more healthy, but I'm also hopeless. I've lost all hope, all encouragement. Don't you think Paul felt like a crazy man? Are you with me? God's gonna deliver us. <laughs> 14 days later, nothing has happened. 
And this guy has the gall to stand up again. God told him twice. And so Paul says, I'm going to tell you twice. And so after 14 days, he stands up and he says, hey, y'all need to eat some food. By the way, sometimes you don't need prayer time. Sometimes you need a snack or a nap. I'm being for real here. Sometimes your problems are not spiritual, they're biological, right? That there's both of those things are the real deal. You know what God says to Elijah? Here's some food, take a nap. And then I'll talk to you, right? And Paul says the same thing. Look at verse number, I think it's verse number 34. He stands up, this is on the 14th day. He says, I pray you to take some meat for this is for your health. And there shall not, he says again, not even a hair fall from the head of any of you. And then lost at sea, 14 days, no food. They've thrown their supplies overboard. And this guy believes God's word so much, he holds up this food in the air and he gives thanks to God in the midst of their hopelessness. Friend, you need to be the type of person that when other people have lost hope, when other people feel like they're 14 days lost at sea, we need people in our churches, we need Christians in our lives who will stand up and give thanks to God when we can't see it, who will believe God's word when we can't believe it. There are people in our church suffering. We need other people to be hope dealers. Say, you know what? I know it might be hard to believe God's word, but I believe what God says here. Let me remind you of what God says. That might feel awkward to you, but you never know how you might change someone's week. Because I'll tell you right now, there are some days I don't have enough faith to believe for myself, so I need someone to believe for me. Are you with me? Some days I don't have enough faith to believe for myself. I need someone to believe for me. You're not in a difficulty. You're not feeling hopeless. Praise God. Be a hope dealer. Give thanks to God, have faith in God, believe God's word will come to pass and share that with others. Well, Paul wasn't crazy. Luke shows us that Paul was right. Paul believed that God would keep his word. And listen, God keeps his word. If you leave with nothing else tonight, God keeps his word. And in the passage, for the rest of our time together, I want you to see three ways God keeps his word. God didn't just get them to Rome. God provided and did the most miraculous things. And I wanna give you three of those tonight. Number one, God protects you from the dangers that interfere with his will. The story wasn't done yet, okay? I'm sweating. The story wasn't done yet here. Paul says, I believe God, he's gonna deliver us. And he was right, but some things had to happen first that are so crazy, these belong in an Indiana Jones movie. You think I'm lying? I'm just gonna tell it, verses 39 through 44, you can read it for yourself, you're supposed to read it this afternoon. But I'm gonna tell it to you, they spot land. And so what they do is they, they're testing the depth. There's some very interesting details that Luke gives that they're testing the depth to see if they're getting closer to land. And then they, 
they come up with a plan, and their only plan is, and God's word comes to pass, that the only way they can land safely on this island, because it's some godforsaken island, is there's no harbor, there's no place to set your anchor down. You gotta run your ship into the ground. You gotta beach the ship. And so that's the plan that they come up with. But on their way to beach the ship, they strike a reef. It's like the Titanic, y'all. They strike a reef, and the ship falls apart. And then, at this moment, the centurions are like, hey, listen, if these guys get away, these prisoners, by the way, there's 276 people on board. If these people get away, our heads will be cut off. So they're, they're like scheming, and they're saying, we're gonna kill all the prisoners. Well, guess what? Who one of the prisoners is? Paul, and he's supposed to get to Rome safe. And so by God's miraculous hand, this guy, Julius, who's his buddy, stands up and says, I think we need to keep this guy. And by the way, let's just not kill any of them. And God miraculously intervenes. God said, all of these people will make it safe. And here you go. All of them uh, are spared from this assassination plot, this, this murder plot by the prisoners that are keeping them. Look at verse 44. They make it safely, literally swimming on boards. I mean, this, this is, belongs in a movie. Verse 44, and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped. What's the next word? All safe to land. Then they show up on land. And Paul is by a fire. And a poisonous snake gets him. That's random. But Paul's got to make it to Rome alive. And all the people that know the snakes on the island are like, this dude must be at odds with God. He's going to die. Look at verse 3 of chapter 28. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians, these are non-Greek speaking uh, people saw the venomous beast hang on his hand. They said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook the beast into the fire and felt no harm. And howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while, they saw no harm come to him and they changed their minds. And they said he was a God. You know what Luke is showing us here? He wants us to know that God will always protect us from dangers that interfere with his will. I've said it once, I'll say it again, right? Repetition's a teacher. Luke is writing to people who are in a deeper and more intense persecution than even Paul was from the government. It gets real crazy after the story of Acts closes. It gets real crazy. You know what Luke is saying to them? If God wants you to be alive and minister more, you're going to be alive and minister more. If God doesn't want you alive to minister more, you won't be alive to minister more. It doesn't matter if it's a poisonous snake or a shipwreck. Nothing has your life in its control. The only thing that has life, your life in its control is God himself. And church family, as Christians who have the promise of eternal life, that is something that we can hold dear. Listen, I know that that tragedy takes lives way too soon. And I can't fully tell you why. I wish I could. I can't. 
But here's what I know. God is sovereign. And if he lets someone go, it was part of his plan. And all I know is that with my puny mind, I won't get it now. But on the other side of eternity, I'll get it. And I'll know that there was some reason, there was something God was doing, and that it was no accident. It was God's loving hand that allowed it to happen. Number two, God gives you the people you need right when you need them. Then we see that with Julius a little bit, right? Paul's in this situation and God brings Julius in chapter 27, verse number three, who's kind to him. But what's amazing to me, remember that they're shipwrecked, right? They're swimming to shore on these boards, these pieces of the ship, and they show up at an island and, and it's not all done there. I know verse 44 says they're all safe, but now they've got an island full of people who they don't know who could just may, may say, you know, let's just kill you. We don't want to deal with you. You could be killing us. We're just going to kill you, right? They, so they meet these native people in verse number one of chapter 28. You got to understand, in a survival situation, it made every bit of sense for the natives on the island to kill these people or enslave them. Am I right? Uh, that's how it works with missionaries. Think of the missionary who went to the Alka Indians. They show up, boom, they're dead. But look at chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. This is, this is crazy. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. That means a lot of kindness. For they kindled a fire and received us everyone because of the present rain and because of the cold. Here are these barbarians, these, these native people, and they took on for no reason other than the compassion in their hearts. By the way, these aren't Christians. Non-Christians are nice people too sometimes. Just remember that. And they decide, and they have compassion on these shivering cold prisoners 276 of them. Y'all realize that comes with a lot of expense? I think it's expensive to have someone over for dinner, let alone 276 people. And for whatever reason, their hearts were warm toward these men. And then verse number seven, the chief Publius takes care of them for three days. God is not mentioned orchestrating this, but can we all agree that God was behind that? God was the one who brought them the people they needed right when they need them. I think we've seen this in the book of Acts multiple times. It's kind of a, the a minor theme in the book of Acts that at, at the most crazy times, God uses lost people to preserve his saved people. God brings the people Paul needs right when he needs them. He lowers, he brings the right people to lower him down out of a basket. He, he brings the right people to say, Paul, you probably shouldn't interfere with that rally because they're ticked off at you and you're gonna die, right? And he brings these natives who take them in and care for them. God has a way, doesn't he, of giving us the people we need right when we need them. 
I've seen it. I've not lived a long time. Y'all have lived longer than me, some of you, but I've seen it again and again. I arrive into a situation, a difficult situation, and I need an ally. I need a friend, and God sends one. I'm in a difficult place, and an old friend shows up at the exact time I need them. I'm in a season of difficulty and discouragement, and I get a phone call from the person who has a word for me. Someone shows up, and I would have never seen them as a friend or ally, but they become one because God gives you the people you need right when you need them. This reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 28 when he commissioned his disciples to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. You know what he said? He said, I am with you. You know, sometimes God is with you through the people that he gives you. Some of us need to open our arms and welcome more people into our life because that's the way God is with us sometimes. I think sometimes when we do this, we're shutting ourselves off not from people but from the presence of God. Because God gives us the people we need right when we need them. And I know you might be here today and be like, well, I wish God would have sent me that person yesterday. Well, maybe he did and you just were too angry to see it. I know this. I, I could have wished for God to send all the people he sent at the right time a day or two earlier, but he sent them at the right time, right when I needed them, even if it felt a little bit late. Here's the third promise. God gives you the provision you need to do what he wants you to do. Okay, so now follow the story here. They're shipwrecked. How do we get to Rome from a God-forsaken island? We need a boat. Their boat is broken. No boat. Okay? You're going to sail for a while with 276 people. You might need a few snacks. You might need a few Lunchables on board. Okay? And they've got nothing. They're on this island. They're not dead. That's great. But they're not supposed to be on the island Melita. They're supposed to be in Rome. That's how this, this guy sailing is going to get paid. And that's how Paul is going to preach the gospel. They need to get to Rome. So they need resources, they need stuff. And they're in the middle of nowhere, and wouldn't you know it, that in the middle of nowhere, God sends them every resource they need. Verse number 10 records that not only did these islanders take them in, give them fire, give them shelter, and not kill them, they just open up their storehouses. Look at verse number 10 of chapter 28. who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. And then, well, they've got stuff now, but they need a ship, right? You need stuff and you need a ship. Well, God provides a ship. Hold up. This is an island they didn't even really know what it was. But it just so happened. Verse number 11 that someone else was stopping by. After three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. By the way, what that says at the end, <laughs> this is ironic. This ship God provided, on the front of the ship, were two big statues of false gods. 
And they're sailing into Rome by the provision of God in a ship with two big idol statues on the front, Castor and Pollux. So God gives them the provision they need. God gives them the ship they need. God provides a boat and provisions for 276 people who showed up on a forsaken island with nothing but a piece of wood. Hey, friend, if God can do that, don't you think God can provide for you too? By the way, God didn't do that right away. They were on the island for a while. In fact, I want to say 11, verse number 11 says how long? Three months. They were on that island for three months. You know, sometimes God provides, not in our timeline, but in his timeline. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes you got to budget. Sometimes you got to wait. Sometimes you got to pray. But, but every time God provides, not what you want necessarily, but what you need. Some of us, maybe our budget outpaces God's will. But God always provides what he wants you to have. Can I just encourage you tonight, if you're waiting on God's provision, if you've done everything you can to offload the boat, and you're, as lean, you're running as lean of an operation as you can run, can I remind you tonight, God provides. God takes care of you. God meets your needs. Friend, don't be fearful. I, was, I ran into a situation the last two weeks. I won't get into it, but it, it, it was tempting for it to stoke fear in my heart about the financial implications of it. I'm, I, I found out about it on a Sunday, and I literally just taught about fear and panic in the presence of God, and I thought, I, I need to try my best to practice what I preach. <laughs> it's so hard sometimes. You know what God provides? You know what's possible for you not to panic when you're facing a deficit? It's possible for you to have peace and not panic. It's possible for you to say, I'm gonna trust God. I'm worried, I'm gonna trust God. I'm worried, I'm gonna pray to God. He's the only one who can provide, so why am I worrying about it? I'm just gonna talk to him about it. And do that again and again and again. I promise you, God can give you peace. God can remind you that he will provide and he will see you through it. He'll see you through it. I hope tonight you can bow your head and you can say what Paul said in chapter 27, verse number 25, I believe God. I don't see how he's gonna provide, but I believe God. Christian, look up here. Would you do that tonight? Would you be so bold to pray a prayer that you're struggling to believe? God, I believe you'll provide. God, I believe you'll send somebody right when I need them. God, I'm gonna trust you with this instead of me panicking and worrying and manipulating. Because here's the reality. You either trust God or you don't. There's no middle ground. You're trusting God, you're believing God, or you're not. You're believing God keeps his word or you're not. Some of you, you might be in some ways like, like I've seen the last couple months, you're on the other side. You've seen God provide. You've seen God come through. Man, I hope you could thank God for that. 
If Paul can thank God before they're delivered, I think we can thank God after we've been delivered. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I found, and it's to my shame, I found I can rejoice with my wife about something good. I could post on Facebook about something good. But sometimes I never talk to God and say, thank you for what you've done. Just being real. Just being real. And if God has provided for you when you've prayed for provision, listen, can I just help you? If you care enough to pray for provision, you ought to care enough to praise for provision. Maybe you got a backlog you need to be praising for. By the way, if you start praising God for your backlog of provision, you might be trusting him for what's on your plate right now. God provides. God gives you the provision you need to do what he wants you to do. Rest assured tonight, your spouse may not keep their word. Your kids may not keep their word. Your parents may not keep their word. God keeps his word every time. So if God keeps his word, there are a lot of things in this world I can't control, I can't count on. I can count on the word. So I'm just to help you. We ought to be in this thing a little bit more. Because there's nothing we can count on other than this. I might want to hang out there a little bit more. I might want to read my Bible a little bit more. Because that's the only thing I can count on is God's word. When he says it, it is so. If you're here tonight and you're waiting for God to keep his word, I I hope you might pray something like this. God, I believe you. I believe you. Or maybe you might have to pray that prayer that that man prayed to Jesus. I believe, but help my unbelief. That's an honest prayer. By the way, that's an okay thing to pray. I believe God, but help my unbelief. And then maybe if God's kept his word to you tonight, you can praise him. Spend some time praising him. Miss Joy, would you come and play? I think we need to spend some time praying. I think we need to spend some time praying. Does God God not have something he's done for you? Praise him for it. Praise him for it. If you're waiting on God to come through, 